Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, do you know why uh, Teslas cost so much? Why, Hank? Because they charge a lot. Hmm, they do. That's a great observation. Thank you. I'm shocked, genuinely, Uh that you didn't tell a sock-based dad joke I, I was, I, there, was a, there was a there was a time crunch. I have to say, just days from now is it's the most important holiday, third most important holiday <laughs> in all of Nerdfighteria, the Awesome Socks Club. Uh-huh. Hank, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the Awesome Socks Club before we answer questions from our listeners because I'm just going to tell you the truth. When you told me that you were starting a sock subscription where 100% of the proceeds would go to charity. Mm -hmm. I said, I believe I can quote myself directly. I said, that sounds like a good niche product. A pair of socks is emailed to you every month. The socks have well, a wonderful design. Well, we don't email them. That would be amazing if we emailed you the uh, socks. But you we... 3D print them at home. No, a pair of socks <laughs> is mailed to you directly to your house every month. And uh-huh. all of the proceeds, not some, not like we sent a pair of socks to people yeah. in need. 100% of the proceeds go to charity. When you told me this idea, I was like... It's a good idea. It's not a great idea. In fact, I believe that I, I literally said it's not a million dollar idea, but it's a good <laughs> idea. It's so close to being a million dollar idea now, John. We have, it is uh, close. It's close. It's close. We've we've raised. Uh, I think we've donated seven hundred thousand uh, dollars. We have more than donated seven hundred thousand dollars to help reduce maternal and child mortality in Sierra Leone and strengthen the healthcare system in Sierra Leone through the Awesome Socks Club. It is incredible. I was wrong. I love being wrong about your ideas. And in three days, awesomesocks.club will begin taking subscriptions again, but only for a 10-day period. So just while you're while you're thinking about it, just go to awesomesocks.club right now and sign up for the, to get the email alert when the subscriptions open because they're only open for 10 days. And I really want 
Hank's million dollar idea to actually be a million dollar idea. <laughs> so go sign up. Yeah. All the proceeds go to charity. It's incredible what Hank and the team at DFTVA have accomplished through the Awesome Socks Club. And by the way, Hank, I have a broken foot right now. I haven't really oh talked about this. Oh my God, this. I had no idea. What? Yeah, I haven't really talked about it. We don't have to get into the details, but I'm wearing a boot. And, uh-huh. um, you know, usually that would that would mean that my my fashion levels are reduced. It's yeah. the natural state of things when you're wearing a boot, except sure. you're booted. My uh-huh. fashion levels are actually in, improved because I get to wear my awesome socks club, socks every day. And people are like, dang, forget about the boot. Where'd you get those socks? <laughs> I do get a lot of compliments on the socks. Oh, yeah. No, and me I'm too. like, I'm sorry. The club is only open like for like 10 days a year. <laughs> So. It, yeah, it is, it's an unusual club. Uh, but yeah. we, we do this to minimize the amount of uh, returns that we have. Inventory and, and, risk is what they call it. Yes, yeah. inventory risk. So sign up for awesomesocks.club now. You go, you go there. There's a banner at the top. You click on the banner and then you click on the uh, email when available link. And we'll let you know when, when it's available. You could be the first person to get this year's Awesome Socks Club. I'm so excited about getting my more awesome socks. It really is. I know. It's a little monthly joy in my life. It's such a, it's a little delight. Yeah. I was totally- I was surprised by them. I was so wrong. <sighs> I I would say I've never been that wrong, but actually I'm that wrong often. This was not just a hankering idea. There was there was a lot of different inputs to this idea at DFTBA. Uh, and we did once have a, like a Nerdfighter sock subscription. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and and that went away, and when it and and like we just decided to like sort of change the vibe a lot when we launched Awesome Socks um, with a lot of input from a lot of great people at DFTBA. So thank you to all of them, and I love it. So and thank you to everybody who's who's a member now. Um, the, the biggest compliment though that you have given me about these socks, John, and I know we're talking about socks that no one can get right now, is that like you're really. You're like picky about stuff, like maybe a little I bit am. too picky sometimes where I'm like, all right, Mr. Everything, like it, it has to be just John Green's way. And you got the socks and you were like, you know, like, I like these socks a lot. And I like that made me feel very good that we that we got They're my favorite socks now. Yeah. I, I will say that was the most backhanded compliment in response <laughs> to a compliment I have ever received. You're a very picky guy. I like, I'll tell you what, I like the socks less than I did 12 seconds ago. That's for sure. (laughs) But I do like the socks a lot. They're my favorite socks. They're my go-to number one socks in my drawer. I also like that uh, because they're they're, they're different patterns, but they're the same sock. I can mix and match and it's a little less weird. Mm, That... That's that's a bridge too far for me. Hank, (laughs) I I do want to answer questions from our listeners. Once again, that's awesomesocks.club. But... Before we answer questions from our listeners, there's been a big development in the field of could John beat X in hand-to-hand combat? All right. Which is that TJ wrote in to say, Dear John and Hank, John, I love you very much. It's a little too much, TJ, but thank you. But a 20-pound you could never win a fight with a house cat. There is no possibility... I'm not convinced that current you could win a fight with a house cat. Imagine fighting at your current size against a cougar that's 125 pounds. That's a pretty close approximation to a scaled house cat of 10 pounds. 
Cougars can easily grab an adult sheep and leap over a six-foot fence with the sheep in its mouth. Do you seriously mean to tell me that you could defeat that kind of cat? Have you even fought your own house cat? Sure, if you had a baseball bat, you could win. But if you're just walking around the yard and it decides to surprise you, you are going to have some serious issues and you outweigh it by 190 pounds. I love cats, but I know my place, TJ. Wow. I still think you could beat up a cat, John. I'm on Team John. I I think 20-pound me could beat up a 10-pound cat. But I, I again, as we've talked about before, I don't think I'd have to use my fists. I think I could use my powers of persuasion. I do. You do have very strong powers of persuasion, John. I can say this as a person who has been persuaded by you a number of times. However, you have been unable to persuade me to get off Twitter, which is where you are spending most of your powers of persuasion these days. I, not really. And, I mean, I... I <laughs> I'm not telling you not to tweet. I'm telling you to reduce the number of tweets that you send by 60%. And by the way, so's Catherine. So's everybody. I got to say, John. Half your replies are people saying, oof, what if you tweeted a little less? What if I only tweet when I'm drunk? What if that's the new rule? Mm, I mean, I feel like. Because it feels like those ones are better. I feel like then you might start drinking more. And I, I don't want that. <laughs> I love I love that you're like a classic moderate drinker. Like you're mm-hmm. one to two units and that's it. Oh gosh. At, at a time, certainly not per day, just for clarity. No, no, no. Like you yeah. you 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 max out at two units per <laughs> occurrence. Yeah, yeah. Uh unless unless it's a very special occasion. I don't I I've seen you have three units only once or twice, and you were Flying. (laughs) Under a table. I mean. With Vi from Vi You know, I remember your situation. No, I remember your bachelor party. Oh, no, that was that is the drunkest I've ever been. You probably had four units at your bachelor party. And I thought you were going to barf for like the last four hours of the party. (laughs) I think I had more than that. I I wasn't counting well. You know, that's the that's this is a legit Dear Inc. and John tip. Always know how many drinks you've had. Yeah, yeah, no, keep track of your units. I'm a big believer in that. I know exactly how many units I had that evening, and believe you me, it was more than four. (laughs) That evening ended for me at like 3.30 in the morning in a VFW bar at the very back of it, and I was just playing a slot machine. I was playing like a nickel slot machine for like two hours. And I looked at my watch, and I was like, oh, I'm tired because it's six in the morning. Yeah. I've been playing the slots since four. <laughs> it turns out this gambling stuff is pretty addictive. Can really they can really hook you in. God, I've lost like sixty dollars. Yeah. yeah, I was in the basement of the <sighs> Double Front Chicken one time, and I decided to play um, like a nickel poker on a video machine, and oh, yeah. I sat down, and I on my first nickel won twenty dollars. And you know, what my first thought was, hmm. if I had bet a dollar. I would have That's won how they get you. Thousand, four thousand. I'm so bad at math. whatever the a big number. <laughs> that's how they. That's get how you. they get you. That's how they get you. It I'm is like, truly that's programmed to make me like. Yeah. I feel like you're programmed to make me win when I'm when I like sit down and spend one nickel, so that I'll yeah. start playing for a dollar. 
Well, one mm. of the observations that my best friend Chris made to me that I think is just so deeply true is that it is much better to lose at a casino than it is to win. Because if you win, you start oh, to think yes. that you're always going to win. Yes. How many people have been saved by losing? I mean, I've, uh, I've never won yeah. money at a casino, so that's uh, it's one, of, one of my... <laughs> <It's> not... <laughs> I have no data points. As far as, as far as the anecdotal data goes, you cannot win at a casino. Yeah, I'm, I'm 0 for 400 so far, but I, I look forward to trying again. I, I will say, like, I, I, as you know, Hank, like, one of my great character weaknesses is how much I enjoy... Um, going to a casino and uh, pretending to be someone who I'm not <laughs> Lose, losing a hundred dollars. Yeah. yeah, like, and I, I I wear clothes that I would never wear in real life, and I talk to strangers, which I never mm-hmm. do in real life, and mm-hmm. I um I sometimes affect accents, and I wow. often pretend like when people ask me about my backstory, I'm always like, "What's it gonna be tonight?" Well, this um, is amazing, and then they're like, "Cause you look so much like John Green." And you're like, like, no, 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 I get that all the time. (laughs) My name is Pierre Green, Pierre Verd. I say, how you say, from that's you sitting there. And you're like, no, no, no. I am an engineer. I know lots about computers. I worked. Yeah. On a, I worked on the space station. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean yeah, it's for actually, the French space agency. It's actually it's actually worse than that. To be honest yeah. with you, um, I'm often I'm often with Sarah, and Sarah will be like sitting next to me and just like glancing at me, like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't that's not true Wait, we're, that's, we're from oregon look here's the situation i'm not here to make a long-lasting friend i'm here to i'm here to have them and me have an experience and that experience doesn't yeah. have to be based in reality we're in a casino this right. like if it was based in reality no one would be here yeah yeah no i'm, I'm in a miniature version of venice like <laughs> This is nobody. Nothing inside here is real or rational. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, but I, yeah, on the it, other hand, am so yes. committed to the idea of winning that yeah. the first time I ever went up in a casino, I walked out. I was like, I, I was did there. It. I beat the I casino. There. The house has nothing on me. Hank played the game in the casino with the worst odds and he won a $20 yep. bet. He won $20 uh-huh. and then he was like, I'm good. Yeah. And I was why, like, why would I keep I, doing this? I haven't even settled in yet. Like <laughs> it was I like right by the elevators too. To it was like the first thing you hit when you come off the elevator. Yeah. Because of course it has very bad odds. So they want you to play that game. Yeah. But it was one I understood. Uh yeah. and so I played that. It was <laughs> Casino <laughs> War. Let's like see, the game let's that tell you tell them play. what it was. <laughs> it's it was just a game war. Hank yeah. turns over a card, the dealer turns over a card, yep. whoever's card is higher wins, but if it's a tie, the dealer wins. Like yeah. it's the dumbest. It's very bad odds. Yeah. It's but not only that, it's d- dumb like it's, <laughs> there's no there's nothing to <laughs> nothing it. Like to admittedly no. like well, I, there's nothing I understood to any it. of them. You yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> And I remember, like, Hank turned over a king, dealer turned over a nine, Hank got a $20 chip, and he just walked away. And I was like, well, that is a different approach. (laughs) I was like, what else do people do here in Vegas? Why did you have your bachelor party in Las Vegas? That seems very atypical. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, we had a good time, but only because I was with my friends and you, not because of any. We had a couple good dinners. I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't no, know. It was a good time. It's not, I'll tell you what. It's we not, didn't do a lot of Vegasy stuff. I don't think I've been back in the intervening. I oh, I, I was, was back for like a conference for work or something. But yeah, no. W- when I go to a casino, it's always the one in French Lick, Indiana. Oh no, which is just they call it. Oh, I love. They call it. There's a place called French Lick. What's fr- what's the Lick and what's French? French Lick, Indiana, is where Larry Bird is from. One of the greatest basketball players of all time. And he was it, very yes. Is he French? I I don't think so. Uh, it used to be. <laughs> like a, a hot springs kind of healing capital, like Franklin Delano Roosevelt used to go there sometimes. And uh-huh. it sort of had that reputation. Sure. And then it fell on hard times, like all places like that, and became a, a gambling mecca, but only for a very, only for people in Indiana. <laughs> so so it's, I, I love French Lick, man. I'm, that's where I had my 40th birthday party. Sarah's like, where do you want to go? Anywhere on earth. And I was like, I think I want to go to French Lick. Boy, Sarah was like, "Okay, all right, well, well close. We can have a we can have a nice time." <laughs> if, you ever, if you ever want to meet John Green's alter ego Pierre Verd, uh, <laughs> head on over to French Lick, Indiana. <laughs> I mean, after COVID, I, I I'm not not going to French Lick right now. Um, like, I'm, I'm gonna be honest. The with area you. has rich mineral sources, John. Yeah, I know. It has rich mineral sources, and those are the Lick, and it was first settled by French people. There you go. Yeah, Pierre's on hiatus until uh yeah. until this whole global pandemic thing is is well and truly over. <laughs> I can't wait to meet him. <laughs> this first question what are, wait, was there a question? No. I don't know how we got there. This question comes from Elise who writes, Dear John and Hank, do subatomic particles have color? Uh depends on what you That's mean. Surreal. Yeah, I mean, I I wanted to ask this question because I don't no, know the answer. Not, <laughs> do they? They don't, right? So they do not. So so they don't have color in the in the traditional. Like in, in order to have a color, um, certain uh, photons, wavelengths of photons have to be absorbed, and certain photons have to be reflected. That requires a a a, a molecular structure there or an atomic structure. So you can't. It cannot happen with subatomic particles because the the actual thing that makes the color happens at a atomic not subatomic level however oh however there are there is a such thing as color charge which is nothing to do with color so in that way they do have color they have color charge what 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 do you mean it has nothing to do with color um, i would like to read you what uh, richard feynman had to say about color charge uh, he said Okay. The idiot physicists, unable to come up with any wonderful Greek words anymore, call this type of polarization by the unfortunate name of color, which has nothing to do with color in the normal sense. He was not pulling any punches. He, I, I completely agree with him. We just couldn't come up with another word because like we found out all these different properties of subatomic particles and we had to name them based on something. And so like subatomic particles have spin, which is a is a thing that has you know like a, a momentum similar to what spin would have but is not really spinning and we have color which is a property that has that exists i i don't know maybe on a spectrum i don't understand it well enough but but there's a, there's several different colors but maybe it's like how somebody might say that something is like colored by violence or yeah. colored by not, love not really it's or, like th- it's like there were it's like there were three different things. 
So instead of being like a, a, a one or two thing, there were three. And so they're like, they just was like, well, it's red, green, and blue then. Oh, I see. So they really just created color where none exists. Yes. Yes. And Feynman was like, you idiot physicists. Literally. He called them idiot physicists. <laughs> yeah, that seems a little... That seems a little aggressive to me. Like there could have there could have been bet there ah, there could have been something. It's confusing. Yeah. Well, what would you have picked? Um, I don't know. I think I probably would have had to consult with my friend who works on the French space station, Pierre. Um, I feel like he'd be more qualified than me. I might have used um A, B, and C. Yeah, like that, like exactly that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, like letter yeah. charge. Letter. Yeah. Something that people Because then know. we at least know that it's not actually a thing. Right. Yeah. You, you get the idea that it's not what we're saying it is. That reminds me a little bit of the first time that I ever encountered algebra when I was, I think, in seventh or sixth grade. And the teacher like wrote on the board, like, X plus six equals nine. What is X? And I was like, mm-hmm. a letter. <laughs> X is a letter. Why are we... So introducing <laughs> English into our math. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you got you got the you got there eventually. You figured it out. I still wish it had been something a little more abstract than a letter because it still bothers me. Like when I see an X and a Y axis, I always think like, no, they aren't. <laughs> They're not. They're not X and Y axes. They're up and down and left and right axes. Yeah. All right, that's my that's my criticism of the idiot mathematicians. Even though my suggestion literally came from their idea. All right, but Hank, what are, was the did, what what question did we answer? Have we answered a question? Yeah, we answered the question about whether subatomic particles have color. Now you ask. No, one. before that was there. One there was no that, question we, before that. I don't know really how just, we got. I have no <laughs> idea how we got to casinos. None. <laughs> we were talking about the Awesome Socks Club. I tried to transition into talking about. Something else. I don't remember. There was something about drinks. Yeah. We were talking about the was, Awesome Socks was that Club. Not a, was that not a conversation? Was that not a question? No. We were talking about... I, no, it was. It wasn't. It was because we were we were telling somebody not to not to drink. No. no I, just, I was telling no, we, you no. not to use Twitter so much, which like you brought up out of nowhere yeah. in the middle of a conversation. So we just really, it really didn't. Okay. <laughs> it's just a fun conversation. <laughs> so just to recap, Hank, we have answered one question. Uh-huh. Let's try to answer a second one. Okay. This one's we from- We can do it. I believe in us. <laughs> this one's from Madison who writes, Dear John and Hank, I realized I used my phone like a pacifier. Oh, God. Don't, no, that's going to, that's definitely got to put it in rice. That's a problem. Oh, no, no. Oh. I, I'm not concerned about that. Although now that you mentioned it, it is not a good pacifier, Madison. I feel like a pacifier would be a much better pacifier. I, I said, oh, God, because I just realized that I use my phone like a pacifier. What does that mean? Like, all the times that like when my kids were little and I would be like, I don't know how to solve your problems. Oh, right. Here's a pacifier. Oh, I use my phone like that for your on yourself or on your children. For myself, mm. when I am upset. Yeah, I probably do that too. When I need distraction, mm-hmm. when I am seeking, you know, Oblivion. to not feel the, yeah. the kind of background anguish that uh, seems to accompany a lot of human life. I'm like, oh, I think I'll look at TikTok. Yeah. I recently did an update on my phone and I was really upset because it was taking so long and I couldn't use it. I literally could have thrown a temper tantrum. How do I lessen my dependency on my phone? Madison, you have come to the wrong place. <laughs> I can tell you what I would do if I had the self-control to do it. 
which is uh, yeah. which is you have to increase your dependency on other things. Like you have to you have to have the the like you have to develop all of the subroutines for like what to do when there isn't that subroutine, which is such an easy one, right? You know, put, pick up and look at the pretty thing. It's shiny and pretty and beautiful, and it has contains all the world's information. So, so it's pretty enticing. It also contains all of the world's misinformation, for the record. <laughs> Not all of it, but most of the world's misinformation. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> like, I mean, that's like saying, like, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. It, it contains infinite content. It does, and it's so uh, alluring. Yeah, it's easy to forget. That, yeah, yeah, and it's just so alluring. Yeah, but the but the most alluring thing about it is that once you do it a lot, it's just like this habit routine that runs in your brain, and it's like ah, I don't, I'm not doing anything right now. Might as well mm-hmm. check on Instagram, and uh, and that is is a difficult thing to interrupt and to replace with something else. But I think it's really good to have diverse routines if we can develop them. It's hard. But and and, mm-hmm. you know, a, another one would be like, oh, I'm I don't have anything to do right now, so I will eat, which is a thing that I I kind of have a problem with sometimes where I just like, oh, I'm like snacking, but only because I didn't have something to do right now and I didn't want to like be staring at my phone. So a better one would be like a book that I might want to be reading. A better one would be um, a drawing that I'm working on or a journal that I'm journaling in or something like that. What drawing are you working on? Well, Catherine draws. I was drawing from I was oh. drawing from her experience, not mine. Okay. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Madison, what I love about your question is that it acknowledges the size of the problem. And I think a lot of us are minimizing the problem. A lot of us are saying, well, uh, I can stop using my phone anytime I want. I don't have to be on Twitter or TikTok. And like I've experienced in my own life that it is actually very, very hard Um to resist those, for me at least, to resist those temptations in any kind of long-term or systematic way. Mm-hmm. And really for me to do it, I have to make it impossible. Yeah. I have I have to make it impossible to use because if it is possible to use, even if it is difficult, I will use it. Like for a while I had this uh, block on my computer where I had to like solve an algebra problem in order to get on Twitter. And all it did was make me good at algebra again. <laughs> well, that's not nothing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not without a benefit. But like the point is that like I was willing to do math, the thing I hate most in the world, in order to access these, you know, private companies that will give me little dopamine rushes in a semi-randomized way. John, this next question comes from Anna Luisa, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I want to start making my own kombucha. So I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos on how to do that. But one thing has kept me awake. (laughs) So many things could be. What would happen if I just took a big bite out of the SCOBY, the microbial culture? I've yet to acquire mine, and I'm worrying that I I won't have the self-control to not eat it. Thank you, Anna Luisa. (laughs) John, you know what what a SCOBY is? Yes. Uh, do you know what it stands for? Because I was I, sometimes no. I think people don't re- don't realize it's an acronym. It stands for uh, symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. SCOBY. Mm. Oh God, I'm sorry. I can't get over the question. I, 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 <laughs> you bolded it. 
I know. I can. I. I know. I remember it. I just had forgotten it, and now I'm. Now I'm like seeing only in tunnel vision. I one. I. I will say this for myself. Uh-huh. Like, I may not have a lot of self control, but I 100 percent have the self control not, not to take eat a bite kombucha's of. scoby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean call me mr willpower because no problem so so deboki researched this and uh it is fa- it is apparently perfectly edible which makes sense because it's in your kombucha so uh it should be it better be because uh it's it's touching it <laughs> um I, I do you remember the first time you ever uh heard about kombucha john uh yeah i mean it's something that sarah drinks and yeah. i I, I I can't I I understand that I drink and eat things that are slathered in microbes all day, and I understand yeah. that kombucha is delicious and has lots of nutrition and whatever. It's just that I I I, I that it I can't. It's not for me. I can't do it. I can't do it. And <laughs> there's some things you can do and some things you can't do, and that's one of the things I can't do. So I was in my friend's apartment in maybe 2004. So before like kombucha was a thing you could get in grocery stores, and yeah. uh, and like I was in an environmental studies master's program. So it was pretty, uh, you know, crunchy fans of the earth kinds of vibes. Sure. And uh, of, of of nature and naturalness and that kind of thing. And and my friend like busted out of her closet a jar with like a like a big like two gallon jar with one of those big lids, you know, you can barely get your hand around the whole thing. Yeah. So like oh, it yeah. wasn't like a, it felt very industrial. It wasn't like a like some like a setup where I felt like there was uh, a lot of thought had gone into it. Um, but it was just like, you know, you open it and like, I'm my, my perspective is if it hisses, when you open it, you throw it away. <laughs> like if like yeah. the, because there's something growing in there and it hissed because it's, you know, it's carbonated and it's, it's produ- like the, the microbes are producing gases and uh, and then like just like poured it in a cup and then passed the cup around like that's how people drank kombucha back then and uh, and so I had some and I was like I did not like that like it was like it wasn't cold it was in a jar in a closet and I don't know uh, if if like now there may be a little more sweetened or more flavored uh, but it just tasted like like bubbly vinegar water to me. And I don't like vinegar, especially a lot anyway. And so I, I didn't have another kombucha for a long, long time. And then I had one that like is a bottled kind. And I was like, oh, I see. They've they've made this more palatable experience. Um, but my experience from, from watching my friend make kombucha is it seems like it's a fine hobby. Uh, but I, as a chemist, am like, that seems dangerous. It seems dangerous because like you don't know what like microbe might get introduced there and it's going to spoil your kombucha like you'll probably notice if your kombucha is spoiled but still like i that that gives me the wrong vibes and then also like anytime you have a big glass thing with a lot of pressure building up inside of it that that's physically potentially problematic like i don't I, just be careful follow all the proper precautions don't explode a jar in your closet the answer to your question is yes by the way it is it is edible Yes, it is edible. And contains many of the same health benefits of kombucha itself. Um, and I know that because I just read it on the internet, um, which is the most trustworthy. It just just Google things, and the first answer is always correct. <laughs> why? why and I, just, I just Googled, can kombucha explode? And the answer is yes, it can. 
Yeah, I mean, you got you got to be careful with anything, though, Hank. Any any true. hobby comes there's, with its there's risks. Always risks. It's true. There are you people know? who jump off mountains, uh, and I'd I, I think probably the the healthier option would be uh, making a delicious microbial brew at home. Which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by eating the SCOBY. <laughs> just taking a big old bite out of it. I just just wanted to say that phrase one more time. <laughs> just sink your teeth on in. This podcast is also brought to you by the French Space Station. Uh, is a very, very uh, little known space station that's up there doing its great work. Thanks to Pierre for all his hard work on the French Space Station. I was going to try to do a French accent where I say it wasn't easy, but I, I can't because the actual accent I do at a casino is my natural Southern accent. Um, but uh, anyway, today's podcast is also brought to you by Casino War. Casino War, <laughs> number one and only casino game Hank Green has ever played. This podcast is also brought to you, of course, by the Awesome Socks Club, awesomesocks.club. Again, that's awesomesocks.club. It opens on November 5th, and it's only open for 10 days. So sign up as fast as you can. We also have a Project for Awesome message from IMU from New Jersey to Davina. Well, I told you that if you wouldn't help me write this Dear Hank and John personal message by the deadline, that I would just use it to publicly declare my love for you. So, Davina, the deadline has come and gone, and now the whole world knows how much I love you. Love, love, love. There. Take that. That's great. It's a high-quality Project for Awesome donation message. That's great. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet. 
with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Hank, let's try a serious question. We've gotten a number of emails lately along these lines, uh, and this one is from a young person who wrote us to say, Dear John and Hank, what do people do when you learn that your parent might lose their job? How do I make this point in their life better for them? Pumpkins and Penguins Anonymous. So when we were kids, our dad did switch careers, Mm -hmm. um, and it it was a little bit of a... I remember it as as scary. I don't know how you remember it, Hank, but I remember it as oh yeah, definitely being yeah. It was like one of the it was the first time when I when I was like aware that my parents were people and had problems, and like and that they might need me, and it was really scary for me to like see mom and dad be upset, right? And I I um and 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 also like not know. You know, like that uncertainty. Yeah. And I think that's what this question is, right? Because like a lot of like when we're really young, our parents sort of insulate us from uncertainty. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if we're lucky, I I think, and and try to insulate us from instability and insecurity. And and then at some point you realize like, oh, they're they're people, too. And they're going through hard times, scary times. And you're not fully insulated from it. Uh, I think the most important thing. Like I, I come at this question now from the perspective of a parent, and the most important thing that any parent wants is to know that their kid is okay, and um, you know, that's all I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to have a job so that my kids are okay. Right, and, and so like the the there there are in times of uncertainty, there are like you know there are things that change. And I think that that's the the main thing is to know that like everyone's on board to get through the problem in what, in in the way like to solve the problem or or to move through it in whatever ways it are going to be necessary. And that, that that's not like the, the hope is to not introduce too much shame or, um, or a feeling of like, you know, that your parent is letting you down, like that you understand that this isn't them letting them that letting you down. So that that's that's probably what they they need to feel the most. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, ultimately, when you're a kid, your job is to be a kid. Like your job isn't to mm-hmm. take care of your parents. Your job is to be a kid. And and that's you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But I think if you can if, if you feel like you're in a position to say, um, I love you and my love for you is not contingent upon your work. And mm-hmm. we, I, I want to do anything I can to support you through this. That's a great thing to hear. And it's nice to have that reassurance. Yeah. I'm sorry you're going through such a hard time though. And I'm sorry so many people are. This is really uh, quite a tough time. Yeah. It is super weird. And I hope that it gets better soon. Moment. John, this next question comes from Tina, who asks, Dear Hank and John, when did museums become a mm. thing? Like, 
Did people whose houses are now museums once go to museums themselves? That would be pretty meta. Pumpkins and Penguins, Tina. John, let me know if this is true. Okay. Uh, because it feels like something you would know. I imagine what happened is some rich person was like, I cannot fill the whole of worth. And so I'm going to acquire as many weird things as I can that feel valuable. And I'm going to put them in my home. And then people are going to come over to my home and they're going to be like, look at all this cool stuff you have acquired. And I'm going to feel good about that. And then I'm going to die. And then I'm going to be like, somebody should have this. And so I'm going to give it and my money to a place that will then house it and show it off in perpetuity. That sounds to me like how a museum got started. That is part of how museums got started. There were also these things called cabinets of curiosities that people would pay to go see, you know? So like you would pay to go see a cabinet of curiosities and it was halfway between a sort of Uh carnival and a contemporary museum, you know? So you'd sort of have a quasi-historical thing, but you'd also be looking at dragon bones. And so that's, that's kind of the other strain that went into the creation of the contemporary museum. But it is very like when we were kids, Hank, we grew up very near this uh, botanical garden and museum called Lou Gardens. Mm -hmm. And the house that you could like walk through and that they were guided tours of and you would it was just a guy's house. It was just it was a rich person's house. There was nothing else to it. It was just a rich person who'd left their house to a charity that then you walk through this rich person's house and you're like, this is where this rich person ate dinner. And this is where this rich person (laughs) wrote their memos. And like, this is where this rich person slept. And like, I remember like doing tours of the house and just being like, huh, it's it's kind of so it's cool. a person's house. It's kind of cool to see how people lived <laughs> in the 1880s in Florida. Oh, it wasn't mm-hmm. an easy place even to be very rich. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But, but uh, why is this here? <laughs> like, I, I understand why the gardens <laughs> yeah. are there. You know, like I understand why yeah. why there are botanical gardens and everything. But I was always a little confused about the house part. And there is definitely an aspect. I mean. I I think this is something that people who work in museums and people who are interested in museum studies are really grappling with right now, which is that there is a big aspect of the museum in general that is troubling by contemporary standards, both in terms of like how objects and artifacts get acquired, which artifacts are treated as art, which artifacts are treated as sort of like exotic and therefore art, Mm -hmm. even if they aren't art in their original context. Right. And not only that, there's also the element of like these semi-private museums, museums that, as you say, Hank, are basically a rich person who collected a bunch of art and then got a huge tax break by giving that art, quote unquote, away while still Mm -hmm. getting to like walk through the museum of their own construction every time they want to. (laughs) It it's complicated. And like the relationship between extractive capitalism and museums and 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 kind of the the quote unquote art world in general is uh i think difficult for a lot of people to navigate in, including me i hear that john um uh do you know where the word museum comes from i don't it was a school oh it was it was the the big university in alexandria it was called the museo oh and so it's like which i love yeah that's nice 
I still look. It, yes, it's from it's from the muses. So like yeah. you get the you know the the, the inspirational guy. Right. I still like. I still love going to museums. I love going, and I especially love free museums that are available to everyone. And I love yeah. going to see art. And I love that there are these places that preserve art for us. But I also think we got to grapple with the complicated parts. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and and you know because because of Sarah's line of work here pretty aware of of that and also i think that um you know those conversations start out small and then they get bigger and bigger until we actually kind of really do as a society uh ch- change the way that we think and act yep that is how, how it tends to happen yeah you know and so I, I i think there are encouraging changes happening in the world of museums but i also think there's a ways to go Hank, speaking of beautiful objects, let's turn our attention to football, specifically (laughs) America's favorite third tier English soccer team, AFC Wimbledon, which lost their most recent game. But it was like a game that we were expected to lose. Uh, We lost. Yeah, I watched the highlights that came up on my YouTube, uh, my my YouTube page. And I was like, oh, and I was like, oof, that was not a game where I felt like we we were uh, there there was a chance of victory. No, we weren't in that one. Um, I think that's safe to say we were uh, we were not meaningfully involved in that. I I was impressed that we didn't give up a goal in the first half. But uh, before that, we played Lincoln City and we won one nil a game memorable for a couple reasons. First off, because it was our first league game this season where we did not give up a goal out of 14 games. So that's that's good. That's really encouraging. And secondly, because we won a game without first coming from behind, which I don't think we've, we've previously <laughs> done all season. Nice. So we're still in 14th place, uh, now almost a quarter of the way into the League One season. And 14th place would be an amazing result. Unfortunately, our injury woes continue. And especially in central defense, things are getting a little a little thin. Uh, So who knows what the next few games will bring. Will Nightingale, our long time, long serving central defender who's been with the club since he was 11 years old, is out for at least three more months. And so it's going to be a tough run of games here in the next few weeks, and we'll just have to see how we do. We do have our first round FA Cup game coming up, uh, and this is one of the knockout competitions, the biggest knockout competition. And we will be playing a team from, I think, the seventh tier of English football, and they have a great name. It's Geisley, or possibly Geusley. G- <laughs> I don't have great French. Despite. You never know. So funny. Pierre's French is so good. Mine is so bad. Um, and the, the last thing I want to say is that uh, our women's team played their first round FA Cup game. It was their first game at Plough Lane, which is really exciting. 1,500 people were there, which is awesome. And they won seven to one. So they are moving on uh, to the second round of the FA Cup where they will play Millwall which is a much stiffer challenge than we had in the first round. But our women's team looks great this year, and I think they have every opportunity to win, and I'm really excited. Well, good. I'm looking forward to some good goals from all the Wombles, John. In in Mars news, so finally we get to know more of what it sounds like on Mars, Mm, which isn't like a super high scientific priority. But 
So uh, NASA has created a, a resource. If you go to mars.nasa.gov slash mars2020, you, you can listen to some of the sounds that have been recorded by the microphones. Uh, now, they have helped scientists learn some things about Mars uh, and, and learn about like changes in the atmosphere and stuff. But mostly it's like we could put a microphone on this and why wouldn't we? But also they have, you know, how like on Mars gravity is different. And so like, yeah. You can type in like how much you weigh and then find out like how much you would weigh on Mars. Right. Well, that's also kind of true of sound. So like sounds, a thing on Mars would sound different than if it were on Earth. So you can take stuff like birds or trucks backing up uh, or like the noise of a city and you can put them through a system that makes it as sound as if it was happening on Mars. And you can use this like interactive tool there where you can listen to uh, what it would sound like, different things would sound like if they were on Mars. Um, and the, the, the sound changes based on um, mostly uh, the pressure. So there's just less air molecules to bounce into each other. Mm-hmm. So that m- makes it quieter, but also cuts out certain wavelengths of sound. And then, uh, and also it's colder. So that can also affect um, hmm. how sound travels. So if you want to find out about that, you can go to, to mars.nasa.gov slash mars2020. One more time, please. Give me that give, so, give me that URL one more time. Oh, it's mars.nasa.gov slash mars2020. Thank you. I'm going now. <laughs> I'm excited to find okay, out. Enjoy yourself, I'm John. excited to find out I'm going to sound on Mars. <laughs> I'm going to show. I, th- no, that, the kids will love that. That'll be so cool to share with them. Cool. Um, well, Hank, thank you for potting with me. Thanks to everybody for listening. We're off to record our Patreon-only podcast at patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John. It's called This Week in Stuff. It's short and not very good. You should check it out. <laughs> patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John. This podcast is uh, edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas. And our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Devoki Chakravarti. The music you keep hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown... Don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.